Good evening. Um, glad to be home. It's always a, a blessing to me to come uh, just to be home. I even got to preach. Just, just being able to come home and, and be with you guys is always a blessing to me. Um, but uh, I definitely love the opportunity to stand behind this pulpit and preach uh, to my brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you will, go ahead and open your Bible. Find First Chronicles chapter 11. First Chronicles chapter 11. And um, I just kind of want to give you some background behind uh, what we're going to talk about, just some things that God has done uh, to, with me and to me leading up to this message. Um, I'm not going to lie, this is probably the most uh, movement of God I've ever felt on me to preach a particular message. Um, I struggled, I, I knew what the passage was, I struggled with what God wanted me to preach. Um, uh, Monday night, uh, I was sitting in my bedroom and, you know, just trying to go to bed, trying to go to sleep, and God would not let me go to sleep. I know that sounds crazy, and I know you're probably thinking, I've never experienced anything like that, but I had these passage on my mind, and at 1.30 in the morning, I got up, and me and God went to work. And that's where we came to this passage. So we're going to talk about a man named Eleazar. If you will, First Chronicles chapter 11, verse 13 is where, um, I'm sorry, verse 12 is where I'm going to start. And a man named Eleazar is what we're going to look at tonight. And it says this, I'm going to read to verse 14. It says, And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Ahoite, who is one of the three mighties. And he was with David at... Pasadome, and there the Philistines were gathered together to battle, where was a parcel of ground full of barley. And the people fled from before the Philistines, and they set themselves in the midst of that parcel and delivered it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord saved them by a great deliverance. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight, and then we'll get started. Dear Lord, thank you for this opportunity, God, not, not just to be at Hillcrest, Lord, but just to preach your word, just to come in, God, and, and to lay our burdens down, to just hear a message from you, Lord, from the pulpit, from the man speaking, Lord, to the congregation, those who are listening, God. I pray we just open our hearts, open our ears. God, I pray that we, we have a movement. We begin anew. I pray, God, that we see our church differently. I pray, Lord, we see our spiritual lives differently. I pray, Lord, we look at our families differently. And, God, I pray that when we leave here tonight, God, we can say that God showed up tonight and there was a great deliverance. Um, be with us, Lord. Open our hearts. Open our ears, Lord. I pray that you bind any evil influence that might try to interrupt the message and um, just be with me. Empty me and fill me with you, God, and let us hear from you tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the, night, the title of the message tonight is Standing in the Barley Fields of Life. Standing in the Barley Fields of Life. Um, I read those few verses. There's nothing, uh, I mean, the story is incredible, right? But there's nothing really special about that story. There's not a, a, it doesn't look to seem like there's a deep theological meaning there. But what I want you to notice, first of all, is this man named Eleazar. I, um, I told Heidi my son's name will be Eleazar. And that's what she did. She laughed. She giggled. Um, and, and so I didn't win that battle. Um, we, I did get it as his middle name, though. So his middle name will be Eleazar if I have a son. Um, and, and hopefully by the end of the night, you'll see why. But Eleazar here is an interesting character because I think we, we skip over what he did. 
the Bible says, look at with, with me in verse 13, it says that he stood in the middle of a parcel of ground full of barley. Full of barley. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean exactly? Well, don't turn to it, but I'm just going to try to show you barley for their day and time was the least valuable grain they had. It was not, I mean, it was important. It made bread, but the poor people of the land would eat barley. That's what they ate. Um, if you want to find a reference on that, go to Judges 6.11. Judges 6.11 is where God calls Gideon. And it says of Gideon, where was he? He was down in the wine press threshing wheat is what the Bible says. That word for wheat can also be translated barley. And when God comes to Gideon and says, Gideon, I've called you to be a judge. I've called you to be a deliverer. You're going to deliver my people. What does Gideon say? Me? He says, I'm the least. Not only is my family poor, but I'm the least of my family. I'm the, I'm the bottom one. No one cares about me. Why would you want me to deliver your people? And then when, when you go on and God calls him in Judges chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, before Gideon goes into battle, God knows Gideon still has some fear in his heart. So he tells Gideon, why don't you take your friend and why don't you go down to the Midian host and I will show you that deliverance will come through your hand. And so Gideon takes his friend, they sneak on down the passageway, they, they, they get real close up to the Midianites, the enemy army, and there they are. And God puts right there, right next to Gideon, a Midianite watchman who has had a dream. And this is what he says. He said, I dreamed a dream and a barley loaf fell into the camp and slew the people. That's what God said about Gideon. So God compared Gideon to a barley loaf. The lowest form, the lowest thing that Israel had was a barley loaf. And so when we look at this passage, what I want to show you here is Eleazar, right? One of, it tells us there that he's one of the mighty men of David. Not only is he one of the mighty men, he's second. There's only one better man in the whole land than Eleazar. And here he is fighting on a piece of ground that is worth nothing to anybody else. The Bible says that the rest of the Israelites, they fled. They ran away. They went running after because it's just a piece of barley. It's just a ground of barley to them. So what I want to show you here is why was it important for Eleazar to stay and fight for that barley field? And the first thing I want to show you is his history, the history of that barley field. Um, we're not going to move to it, but if you were to go look at 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, you would find that Eleazar wasn't always a mighty man. He wasn't the man that was willing to stand in the bar barley field his entire life. He did not come out of the womb. He was not created immediately as a mighty man who would stand there and fight an entire Philistine army. That wasn't who Eleazar was. 1 Samuel chapter 22 verse 2 tells us this about the man Eleazar. It says, all those who were in distress who were in debt and who were discontent with their lives came to David. That was who Eleazar was. That was his history. Eleazar, at one point in time of his life, was running from his life. He was in distress. Saul was chasing these people who either owed him money or maybe they, they liked David. Maybe they owned allegiance to David. They were coming after all these people and he was a fugitive. So no doubt, sometime in his life, he was poor. And you know what he had to eat off of? The barley. That's what he ate to survive. Probably 
whenever he could grow some. He may have grown some. Maybe when he was walking by in the land, the poor were able to grab of the barley fields that were there. But no doubt this man had a history with barley fields. It had one time been his life supply. It had one time been the thing that led him to David, the barley fields of life. But not only that, we also see that this barley field gave him nutrients. It supplied him, right? It gave him supplies. It allowed him to keep going. And so what I want to turn our attention to is as we are looking at this character of Eleazar, when we look back over our past lives, or not our past lives, our, our present life, when we look back over our life, where are the barley fields in your life? Where are the times you've been under distress, in debt to sin, discontent with your life, not knowing where God wants you to go, not knowing where God would have you? I mean, you're, you're running for your life, and you needed somebody. You needed someone to bring you back to God. We've all had those times, right? I can tell you I've had those times. I can tell you in my life I've had those times. And let me tell you something. When I had those times in my life, there were three things that got me back. There were three barley fields. There were three things that supplied me that got me back to where I needed to be. You know what they were? The first one was my family. I don't need to say any more about that. I've preached enough on it. You know my family. You know my history. You know my story. My family kept me going. The second thing was my friends. My friends. I, I've had good godly friends that I can see over my life that God has used as a barley field of nutrients to supply me, to get me where I needed to be. But you know where the most important barley field of my life has ever been? Ever. It's here. Hillcrest Baptist Church. This has been the greatest barley field that God has ever given me. It has supplied me. It has given me nutrients. It has grown me spiritually. Let me tell you something. My family, before they came to Hillcrest, and you all know my family, you know my mother, you know my father, they are faithful attenders of church. They were ready to give up on church. They were done. My mom swore she would never go back to hear another preacher. She was fine with working in the church. She was fine with doing things, but she was fed up with the hypocriticalness. She was fed up with all that stuff until we came to Hillcrest. And God gave us a barley field that fed her, that fed me, that grew me to the point to where I could be the man I am today. Hillcrest Baptist Church was my barley field. I've had faithful teachers here. Now, I've talked about those. I've talked about um, Brother Jim Bill. I've talked about Steve Vaught. I, I didn't get to learn from him, but Mr. Ogle, I, I helped teach a class with him. And just a little bit of time that I've been around, I got supplied by him. I've had good teachers here. Not only that, I can tell you exactly where I got saved. Right there, two pews up from the sound booth is where God knocked on my heart as a 25-year-old man and said, hey, buddy, you might know a lot of stories. You might know a lot of good stuff. You might have the head knowledge, but you ain't got the heart knowledge. And if you were to die right there, you would die and go straight to a devil's hell. And I came down right here with my mother and got salvation. It was a barley field in my life. It was a time that I needed it. Not only that, I can tell you where my calling was. It was right here where Mr. Marty Denton and his family are sitting. I was sitting right there, and, and we had a lady sitting up here singing, and the choir was singing, and, and I could feel God's movement. It was like he came off the rafters and just body slammed right on top of me. I mean, I remember God saying, it's time for you to surrender to the ministry right there. Yeah, that's good. 
That was my barley field. It supplied me. What I'm trying to show you here, guys, is our barley field's under attack. It's not under attack by flesh and blood. It looks that way. It looks that way. I know it looks that way. But it's under attack by a much greater force that wants your barley field, that doesn't want Hillcrest Baptist Church standing here. It doesn't want to hear Jared Stiles' voice from the pulpit. It doesn't want to hear Brother Glenn's voice from the pulpit. It doesn't want to hear anybody's voice from the pulpit. It wants it silenced because you've done too much growing through the years. You've fed too many people through the years. And it's ready. They're coming. The Philistines are coming. The enemy is coming. The question is, is how many Eleazars do we have? How many Eleazars do we have that are going to stand and remember the history of that barley field that has fed them for so many years? But not only that, it wasn't just history. It wasn't just his history that, that, that led him to stand there. It was his help. It was his help. And before I move on, I just noticed in my notes, I skipped a part. If you think that your barley field isn't under attack, let me go ahead and tell you, it is. You've got a youth group that's under attack. You've got a choir that's under attack. You've got a band that's under attack. You've got a pulpit that's under attack. Your entire barley field, the life that you know, if you just have come to church over and over again just because this is what you've always done and this has always just kind of been what you do and this is the, this is the church we come to, that life is threatened right now. It's threatened right now. And so not only was it his history that kept him in that barley field, but it was also his help. Look in verses 13, the very first part of verse 13. It says, with David at Pasadena. He didn't stand in that battlefield alone. And it wasn't just anyone that stood with him. It wasn't just anyone. It wasn't just some other warrior. It wasn't some other uh, uh, fighter. This was the king. Not only was it the king, but this was God's anointed. This was a man that God placed there intentionally. And so here's Eleazar, and he's standing there, and he's ready to fight with the king. Now, what, what led Eleazar to have such a love for David that he would risk his own life for nothing but a mere barley? Why wouldn't the king of Israel and his second greatest warrior just pack it up and go home and say, you know what, you guys can have this barley field. It's not that important anyways. You know, what, what would cause that kind of loyalty, that kind of allegiance? Well, the first thing, let's think about it. If David and Eleazar are the only two interested in the field for the Israelites... Why is the enemy so interested in it? Why does the enemy want the barley field? Why do they want it? If it's of so little importance, if we value this church, if you value your kids' youth group, if you value your choir, if you value it all so little, and it's worth so little to us, why does the enemy want it? Can I go ahead and tell you why? Because I've lived it. I've lived it in my life, and you have too. The enemy wants your worst. It wants your barley groves because it knows if it gets your barley, it can get your wheat. If it can get the worst thing you have, it knows once it gets that foothold, once he gets that stronghold, it's not long before your best is gone. And let me ask you something. Do you want to be remembered as a congregation, as the people that allowed the, the bad things or the least things or the least valuable things 
to be handed over to the enemy so that way you lose the greater things. I don't want to be remembered like that. And so here we need to find out what caused that allegiance, what caused that loyalty. And the first thing I want to show you is that he stayed with David through the good times and the bad times. Through the good times and bad times. And I want to show you that. The first thing is, when David, I mean, think about this. Think about this good time in David's life. When he came to David, David was hiding from Saul, right? Saul's after his life. Saul's chasing after him. Saul's trying to destroy him. And here he is. David has the opportunity to come up behind Saul, right? In that cave. And Saul's sitting there taking care of his business. And, and David has that opportunity. And what does the Bible say about that? The Bible says that his men whispered in his ear and said, why don't you just go ahead and kill him? Why don't you just go ahead and kill Saul? That was Eleazar. Eleazar was that man sitting there whispering in David's ear, why don't you go ahead and do it? And not only once did David have this opportunity, he had an opportunity twice. But he learned something about David that day. And this was David's high point. This was a, 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 a hill moment. This was a mountain moment for David. He learned that David would never do anything to hurt the man that God had put in place. He would allow God to take care of that. He was never going to do anything to, to go after the man of God. He would allow God to take care of his own man. But then he was also with David in the bad times. Remember, David ran off to the Philistine camp there for a little while. He lived in Ziglag, right? For over a year, he sat there and he played, he played the role. He lived a, a life that was a lie. He would go out and he would raid uh, right below Judah, but then he would come back and he would tell the Philistines that he was killing Israelites. I mean, go read it. It's all there. It's in 1 Samuel. He would come back and tell the Philistine king, the king would say, where have you been, David? And he, he really had not been raiding Judah like he said he had. He'd been raiding other people. And the Bible says he killed them all so that way a report wouldn't get back to him. Does that sound like a man after God's own heart to you? It doesn't sound like it to me. It's a pretty low point in David's life, right? The man who's known for his grace, the man who's known for his mercy, and here he is slaughtering innocent people who have no clue what's going on just so that way he can keep living a lie. Remember what happened at Ziglag? The Bible says that while David was out one day that the enemy came and fell on it, took all of David's wives and took all of his children and took all of his men's wives and all of his men's children. And what the Bible says is his men, his own men, Eleazar was ready to stone David, was ready to kill David, was tired of following David. That was a low point in David's life, wouldn't you say? That was a time where no one wanted to be with David. He'd been living a lie. God obviously wasn't with him. Here they are in the Philistine land. He said he's supposed to be the king, and he ain't even on the throne. Not only that, our families are gone, our children are gone. Why do I want to follow David? But then he learned something else about David. He learned that when the hard times came, when the pressure came on David, that David would always revert back to his nature, and that would be to look for God and to follow God's counsel. So he's learned two things, on the high points and the low points. And then obviously we have the greatest question of all, and I believe it's because he stood here, because he saw his king in the battlefield, is the reason why he stayed with him. The lowest point of David's life was who? When he sinned with Bathsheba. The Bible says that when God was judging him, when God was judging David because of his own sins, and Absalom was coming to take the throne from David, that David left Jerusalem, and the only people that followed him were his mighty men. Eleazar. Those guys. The only ones that went with him. 
And it's because he remembered David cared about the barley field. David loved the barley field. Nothing was not important to David. You say, well, what's the comparison with us right now? Well, Hillcrest, you got a choice you got to make. You got a choice you got to make. We all know what it is. No one wants to talk about it. Do you believe our pastor is a man of God or not? Amen. Do you believe that our pastor was called to this pastorate or not? Amen. He's had his high points. He's had his low points. I've sat under Brother Glenn. I've learned more than I will learn from anybody else from Brother Glenn. I've been chewed out from Brother Glenn right there. I was chewed out by him. If anybody's had highs and lows with Brother Glenn, me and him could get up here and give you plenty of them. We've had highs, we've had lows. There's one thing that I have always known. God called him here. And far be it from me to raise my hand. Let God take care of Brother Glenn. You have to decide who you're going to be. Are you going to be the Israelites that run away? Are you going to be the Eleazar that stands in the field and says, this is my barley field, and if he still cares about it, I still care about it, God still cares about it, and no one's taking our barley field. You've got to make the decision. You've got history. You've got his help. But notice, David wasn't the only one there to help him. Look what the rest of the verse says. Look in verse 14. It says, and they set themselves in the midst. That means they planted their feet. They were ready to go. Even if it cost them their lives, they were not giving up that barley field. And what does it say? And delivered it and slew the Philistines. And who? The Lord. That's Yahweh. Saved them by a great deliverance. Yahweh saved them by a great deliverance. Over the years, I've noticed something about our church. And this has only been the last few years. This has only been the last few years. And I've noticed it, and I think I said it the first time I preached, that we've had a disconnection between our leadership and our congregation. And it's grown over the time, over the last few years. It just has. And here's what I want to show you. Brother Glenn is our man of God. Brother Glenn is not God. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to do things that you don't like. He's going to do things you don't agree with. Does that mean you should not... Talk to him about those things. Does that mean you do not have the right to bring those things up? Nope. Doesn't mean that. Eleazar followed David wherever he went. Highs and lows. There were things I guarantee you Eleazar didn't agree with. There were battle plans he didn't agree with. But you know what? At the end of the day, Eleazar was committed. He was faithful to God's man. Amen. And so here what we need to understand is who do we focus our eyes on? When the chips are down like they are now, when we're staring the enemy in the face, all we have is just a handful and they seem to have all the momentum. They seem to have everything that's going to come against us. Are we looking at the man and saying, deliver us? Or are we looking at the God who has the potential, who has the ability, who has everything that we ever need and will work with the man to bring us a deliverance? Where's your focus at? Where's your focus at? And so we've seen his History, we've seen his help. And then lastly, I want to show you his hope. If you will, um, move with me to 2 Samuel chapter 23. 2 Samuel chapter 23. It's the same exact story. I just want to show you this though. In 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 10. It's one verse. 
I want to show you Eleazar's hope. He had a history with the barley field. He had help in the barley field. And I want to show you his hope in the barley field. 2 Samuel 23.10. It says this, And he arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave unto the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. Now Eleazar is willing to fight. He's willing to fight for his history. He's willing to fight for the help that he has. And now we see his hope. But here's what I want you to notice. Notice those first two words it says about him in verse 10. It says he arose and then he smote. Do you know what the name Eleazar means? It means God has helped or whom God has helped. Do you know what the Greek name for Eleazar is? I didn't know this. This is really cool. I hope it blows your mind like it blew my mind. It's Lazarus. He arose, didn't he? He didn't stay in the tomb, did he? And did he arise on his own strength? Did, did Lazarus remind me of the story because I'm having a, a moment. Did he arise out of the tomb? Did he walk out of the tomb because Lazarus was able to walk out of the tomb? Or did he come out of the tomb because the Lord of Lord, Jesus Christ, looked at him and said, Lazarus, arise, come out of that tomb. Right? That's Eleazar here. The Bible says he arose. I mean, it gives you the picture as if he's sitting down. You can't fight sitting down, can you? I mean, I, I, I'm not in the greatest shape of my life, but I'm, I can fight standing up. If you want to fight me sitting down, I can't do anything. I've got to get up. I've got to arise. I've got to stand up. I've got to make my stand. And that's what we see with Eleazar here. He arose, and immediately there was victory. It's the same picture that Jesus Christ gives us when he comes out of the tomb. He arose and he gave us victory. It's the same thing that Jesus Christ showed us he could do in Lazarus' life. And if he can do it in Lazarus' life and he can do it in Eleazar's life, he can do it in your life and he can do it in my life. But it's time for us to arise, to claim the victory that's already been claimed. It's already been given to you. You just got to stand up and take it. It's all that's asked of you. And so we see his hope. We see he stood up and he rose. But not only that... We saw he got weary. Look at that. See that? It says his hand got weary. His body got weary. How many of y'all are tired of fighting? I've only got, I got one person. Come on, let's be serious. Are we, are we tired of fighting? Are we getting tired? Maybe not. Maybe you're not tired of fighting. I'm tired of hearing about y'all fighting. <laughs> serious. I'm serious. I'm not, I'm not joking. It's weary him. Uh, it, 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 draw, it, it drains you. When the church that you once could go up to people and say, man, I come from Hillcrest Baptist Church. I come from a church that sees people get saved, that sees lives change. And, and I know those things are still going on. But now when people say, what's going on with Hillcrest Baptist Church? Oh, we're, oh. Pray for us. Don't get me wrong. I tell people to pray for you all the time, but I want to tell them to pray for you because you're winning, because you're in the victory, because you're in the fight, because you've stood up in your barley field. It's a whole lot different to tell people to pray for you when you're sitting down, when you don't know, when you're running. Stand in your barley field for your hope. And the Bible says that he got tired and his hand got weary. So what did he do? It says his hand clave unto his sword. His only weapon that he had. Now, y'all might know the Bible a little bit better than I do. And in Ephesians chapter 6, when God gives us the armor of God, if I remember correctly, the only sword is His Word. 
The only weapon he gives you to fight with, to actually attack somebody with, is the Word of God. Is that right? So how many of us are cleaving to it? How many of us are claving to it? How many of us are out here swinging the Word of God at the enemy so hard that it's become one with us? You, you realize when it says that it claved to his hand, that's the same word that Adam used with Eve. When God gave him a wife, when God talks about marriage, it says a man claved to his wife. They became one flesh. They became one body. That word clave is taking two totally opposite separate things and putting them together. And the sin nature in me and the precious word of God are two totally different things. So are you claving to it? Is this becoming one? Are you, are you fighting so hard with the enemy? Are you fighting so hard for your barley patch that the word of God has become one with you? Man, that's some hope right there. That's all, that's all the hope Eleazar had. If he stopped swinging his sword, if he stops fighting for that barley, if he drops his sword, if he lets it go, if he says, man, this isn't worth it anymore, they can have this barley field, I'm tired, David, see you later, he's dead. He's gone. He's out of there. And the enemy has the victory. So how many of us are cleaving to our swords? And then I'm going to close right here. If you will, open to Psalms 27, and then we're going to go into invitation. Psalms 27. I'm sorry. I, see, I know it seems like I'm rushing, but I told you this. I've never experienced something like God giving me this message, and I, and I hope you see that. I've got a whole lot more that I could have gone into we just don't have the time limits. With Psalm 27, and then we're going to go into invitation. <clears throat> Psalm 27, I believe, is wrote by David when he's running from Saul. And the three things I want to show you here is his history in the Lord. I want to show you his help in the Lord, and I want to show you his hope in the Lord. So look at these first six verses with me. It says, The Lord is my light. In my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies, when my foes come upon me to eat my flesh, they stumble and fall. You remember Goliath said, hey, I'm going to feed you to the birds. Right? Verse 3, though a host should encompass me, my heart will not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. We've seen that in David's life. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that I will seek after him, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he will hide me in his pavilion, in his secret place, in his tabernacle will he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies, round about me, Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. That's some history right there. That's David saying, I know hard times are coming. Things are coming my way, but I have a history with God and he's going to bring me through it. And I'm going to sing praises. I'm going to have joy. Look, I don't care what's going on in Hillcrest. I don't care what you face. You better come into God's house with joy and praise because he will give you the victory. He already has. You've just got to stand up and take it. All right? So we've seen the history. Let's look at the help, verses 7 through 10. It says, Hear, Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. 
When you said, seek my face, my heart said unto thee, my face, Lord, will, or thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not your servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsook me, then the Lord will take me up. What David is saying here is, man, when everything else, and David proved it in his life, did he not? When everything else leaves me, when my friends are gone, whether it's my fault or whether it's not my fault, when I confess my sin, God, I need your help. I need you to stand here with me because I can't stand here alone. He had a history with God. He had help with God. And then lastly, let's look at his hope. rest of the verses, verse 11 through 14. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of my enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Listen to this verse. Hillcrest, please listen to this verse. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. That's your hope. You want to know why it's worth fighting for this barley field? You want to know why this barley patch is worth fighting for? Because of this group right here. Because when Brother Glenn's gone, when he's left this earth, when my generation's gone, when I've left this earth, when you're gone, I want to know that I gave it all so a barley field could stand here so that way the next generation could come and the next generation could come. And Eleazar knew that if he fought for that barley field, it would supply Israel after he was gone. Something bigger than him. Something greater than him. Something that he would not be around to see. But it was worth fighting for that that barley field because it would supply the next generation. 